There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, last week we talked about a bunch of different air quotes stuff. Yes, lots of stuff. Yep, everything from robo-advisors to sustainable investing to digital finance. But today we're going to take a step back to basics with some spring cleaning ideas for your finances. Because I don't know if you've noticed, Greg, but it's a lot nicer out right now than it was a few weeks it, ago. It feels almost like spring. It, almost, it feels it feels like summer, actually. It makes me concerned, but what the heck? Well, they'll take the good stuff when we get it. Actually, my wife was like, aren't you worried that it's getting too warm too quickly? And I yeah. said, no, I enjoy it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about some facts, have a little fun. And the focus of this discussion is on what works to improve your financial life, which is a, a big area. We're surrounded by things that can derail us at any time, really. Yep, right on. So we're going to look at what areas you can improve on to improve your chances of achieving the goals that are relevant to you. Now, I got a fun fact here, Greg, and I know it's not in our notes, but the emphasis these days in financial planning is on goals-based planning. Yes. You know, it's funny to me that everybody now is focused on goals-based planning, something that the CM group has been doing since 2009. Yep, absolutely. That sounds like 14 years to me. That's right. So are we 14 years ahead of the curve? I think we are. Yeah, I think we are too. So welcome to everybody that's caught up. Yep, goals-based is where it's at. Yep. So the way that we are, whether it's planning or whatever, is based on the aggregation of all the decisions that we've made. So our health is based on each decision that we make, such as, should I eat that chocolate cake? Should I stay up late and get up early? Should I have that extra drink? Should I brush and floss my teeth? Each time we make a small decision, it doesn't seem like much at the time, does it? No. Nope. But if you aggregate them together, that is to say, if you add them up, they are what leads to massive results, right? Yeah, no, so right on. Good and bad based on those decisions that we're making. So for example, eating that piece of cake, Greg, that one piece of chocolate cake won't do much on its own. But if you had a piece of cake every day, or even worse, you ate a whole chocolate cake every other day. Yeah, that's going to have way different results, right? Although it would be delicious, but yep. if you care about your health and your appearance, it might not be so good. <laughs> you start to look about as round as that cake exactly. after a short period of time. So the same is true in our financial well-being. I mean, if we choose to spend our money on one-off items infrequently, then perhaps it's not such a big deal. You know, like if you blow some money on something one time, yep. is it really a big deal? Probably not. Probably not. Right? Yeah. But if we choose to spend our money on these items different days, like many times a day, weeks, months, or years, it obviously leads to a larger consequence down the road. Yeah. Right? So yeah. the extreme of example of this is when you meet people that have not saved anything, but want to talk about their upcoming retirement next year. That is a tough conversation to have. You know, I had a, a dentist come in years ago, referred to us. He came in with a savings of $300,000. Mm-hmm. I said, well, how much money do you want to spend in retirement? He said, $100,000 a year. Yeah. I said, okay, well, what are you going to do after year three? Yep, exactly. You know, when you've spent all your money. So, yeah. so that's a big issue. 
you know, and chances are that if you just don't make those decisions all the time and you make them infrequently, right, you'll probably be just way further ahead, right? Exactly. So we want to create these better financial habits as part of the spring cleaning exercise. And for that, I'm going to recommend a book that we've previously discussed on this podcast. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah, we did a whole episode on that. We did a book review on that. We did. I think we've only ever done one book review. That's right. We should probably do another one. Good idea. So James Clear talks about how being 1% better every day, that if you do that, you're 30% or more. I think the math comes out at 37% Mm -hmm. actually ahead at the end of the year. So it's this layering or stacking of these decisions that leads to the most drastic results. So to help people down that path today, we're going to look at a couple of general spring cleaning items for your finances. And then Greg, if we have time, we're going to get into spring cleaning your investment portfolio. But I just want to go through that math real quick. So in that Atomic Habits math is just 1%, so 1.00 raised to the 365th versus 1.01 raised to the 365th. And that's where you get the 30% or more better results. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, right on. So listen, and you've already hit on the first of the things we want to talk about, and that is the budget. And so your dentist who came to see you, he had a budget of $100,000 a year. That's what he wanted to spend. But a budget is a way to look at your cash flow. And ideally, there's more money coming in than going out. And as one of my clients likes to say, you want more income than outgo. Mm, That's a good one. Yep, exactly. And also included in that is having a look at your assets and your liabilities. But the budget is always the starting point of planning. It helps us or anyone who's working on a plan for you to see the current financial situations and allows us all to make decisions about where we can make changes to meet our goals. And so when you look at the budget, you know, and it's one of the hardest exercises we go through with people who say, well, what do you spend? And a lot of people don't actually know what they spend. But you can break down that budget into a couple of different areas. The first would be fixed expenses. So these are ongoing costs that don't change in amount or frequency. So they might be weekly, monthly, or annual payments, but they're easy to budget for. In fact, that's why they're easy to budget for. So whether it's a mortgage payment, a car payment, et cetera, these are things that are fixed and they're going to be the same every month. And these, by the way, can be both discretionary, meaning you have a choice of whatever you that payment relates to is up to your choice, or they might be mandatory payments. Mm-hmm. Example, a mortgage payment is pretty mandatory. Yeah, except that in today's day and age, that fixed mortgage payment could be on a variable rate mortgage. That's right. And that's been adjusted dramatically. Exactly. So we had fixed expenses. Then the next thing might be variable expenses. And the amounts might change with variable expenses every payment, which makes them a little tougher to budget for. So your monthly utility bill might cost much less in September when you don't have to run the air conditioning like you do in July or use the heat in January. So those variable expenses... And utilities are a great example that I know for myself. And you brought up the electrical bill. Unbelievable how much, not only how expensive it is, but how much it does vary from, from month to month. I have a way to solve that problem, Greg. Yes, how's, what's that, Colin? Well, in my house, my wife pays all the bills, so I actually have no idea what our electricity bill is. Yep, so absolutely. I, it seems fixed to me. Right on. Now, you have mandatory expenses, which are just non-discretionary. So we talked about how certain fixed expenses are mandatory, like a mortgage. 
got to pay your mortgage or your rent. You have to pay utilities, even though it's a variable expense, you have to pay them. Groceries would be a good example of mandatory or what we call non-discretionary expenses. And any savings that you have, so if people are disciplined enough to put aside, say, 10% of their paycheck or whatever their savings strategy might be, that would be non-discretionary. And then the last thing is the discretionary expenses. And these are the kind of things that you could ask the question, is this something I want or something I need? You know, and if it's something you want, of course, it would be considered discretionary and varies dramatically from person to person and even within the same household. So so you've got a couple of different ways of looking at your expenses. You've got mandatory and discretionary. And then, of course, you've got expenses that are fixed and variable. This is where my wife and I differ on our versions of mandatory or non-discretionary and discretionary expenses, Greg. Mm -hmm. To her, golf is a discretionary expense. To me, it's a non-discretionary expense. Absolutely. Has to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, according to a 2020 survey by Bankrate, 56% of Americans do not have a budget. Which actually surprised me. That means 44% of Americans do have a budget. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that it's that high because among the people I know, if I asked them all, do you actually have a budget? I think not many would have a budget. I would question the sample size of that stream. Right. Yeah. I think that's way higher than normal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Of course, related to your budget, and particularly if you're spending more than your income is coming in, then that's going to create debt whether it's credit card debt, car loans, mortgage loans, things like that. And and debt, certain types of debt in particular, can be a significant obstacle to achieving financial goals. So one of the things that we recommend for people as they do their spring cleaning, take a look at outstanding debt, have a plan to pay it off as quickly as possible, make sure that the debt you have is lower interest as opposed to high interest, like credit card debt, things like that. And another factoid for you, according to Experian, the average American has about $6,200 in credit card debt. And, you know, at whatever the credit cards charge, 18 to 21% or something, that's debt that absolutely should be reallocated to a, a lower cost option. And when you're looking at debt, it might not be bad to take a look at your credit report. The credit report can impact your ability to get loans credit cards and other financial products. And you want to make sure that your credit is as strong as it should be in order to allow you to do things like consolidate high interest debt, that kind of thing. I've been using an app for that credit card report. I think it's called ClearScore. Oh yeah. It's pretty slick actually. And most banks, you know, if you use your online portal to look at your banking, most banks will allow you to link directly to Equifax and and get a A credit score very quickly. Interesting. Right on. Well, speaking of those non-discretionary spending bills. Oh, yes. I want to talk about subscription services. Oh, yes. Because we are surrounded by them. I mean, in all kinds of businesses, as a matter of fact, right? Like, it's become apparent to me now that, like, if you have a plumbing company that works for you, they may want to sell you a subscription. That's right. I don't know why you need a subscription to a plumbing company. I drove into a car wash a couple of weeks ago and they they asked me whether I wanted just the one car wash or if I wanted to sign up for a monthly subscription for as many car washes as I wanted every month. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're all around us. And oftentimes it comes with a free trial, which is just the bait. And next thing you know, you've got multiple subscriptions to car washes, plumbing companies, not to mention things like TV. Oh, yeah. And they can start to creep on you. We call it subscription creep, right? So as an example, at home, we have cable TV. 
we're one of the, maybe the last ones is there's a lot of people that are cutting their cable these days, but we have cable TV because I like to watch sports. And in order to watch sports, though, you need to upgrade your cable package, right? Not a big deal, just a few extra bucks a month. But then there's shows on Netflix that we like to watch. And that used to be, I want to say, like $7 a month or something like that. I don't know what it is now. My last one is $22. $22. Yeah. Quite quite a creep, right? Mm -hmm. But you get hooked on some of those shows. You justify it. Sure. Then you all of a sudden are watching Amazon Prime. Because you want to watch, I don't know, Yellowstone or something, right? And you want to get your deliveries in two days or less. There you go. So that's 6 or $10 a month. Yep. And then the kids, they used to watch a lot of Disney Plus, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a lot on its own. I think it's 9 or $10 a month. But when you start to aggregate those costs together, just like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you start to aggregate things together, it becomes a much larger number. So now that monthly bill for cable and just streaming services is something like 200 bucks a month. Yeah. That's a real number. That is a real number. Now that doesn't include Apple TV, which is another nine or $10 a month. And maybe you rent a movie once in a while, right? So you have to start to question, like, is it worth it? Like, if you missed a show, like I know there's all kinds of shows you like to watch. Like I like to watch Succession or, but if I didn't have access to it, would my life be any worse? I wouldn't think so. I don't think so. I mean, not to sound old, but I remember growing up when we had three TV channels and you had to turn the dial, right? You were lucky to have three. We, we only had, had one. Luxury. Well, one of them was French though, <laughs> and we didn't speak French. So really we had two. And you remember at the end of the to the TV day, they would play like the national anthem? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then and then they ran test patterns for the rest of the night. Yeah, it was telling you like you should go to bed now. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, you could stream a new release movie at three in the morning if you really wanted to. So anyways, that's just an example of what you call creeping incrementalism. Exactly. Right? So just that nine dollar bill on its own, no big deal. But you start adding them up and aggregating them together and they become a really big deal. So now you already mentioned something about utility costs. So I don't I don't want to spend too much time on that. But those also have a creeping effect. I mean, well, just like your example, like this isn't utility cost, but how many car washes can you actually have in a month? Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could go every day. Yeah. You'd have the cleanest car in the world. And I'm guessing if you added up all the individual car washes you got in a year, it wouldn't amount to the cost of having a car wash subscription. Yeah. Exactly. So, and listen, we haven't even talked about food. I mean, so we live in a day and age where we can order groceries, we can order meal kits from companies like HelloFresh and others. You know, if we don't feel like cooking, we can use Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats. And these aren't really necessities, but they're nice to have. But everything we do like that increases and increases and increases the costs. So when you're looking at a monthly budget, you know, it's just something to ask yourself, okay, well, it's not that even certain of these expenses will break you, but do you really need it? And does it really improve your life that much? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I have to do that myself, you know, sometimes because, for example, at the office, I tend to buy lunch every day at the local outlet. The local eatery? The local eatery. And you, for example, have been bringing your lunch in many days. And it's like, well, the food that you're eating is probably better because you made it yourself. 
and it's really not that difficult. This is not a good example, Greg, because I did not bring my lunch today, so well, I will be buying so lunch. So one day you. in general, we're yeah. talking about anyway. But look at the price of food. You know how it's gone up over the last year, and in fact, the price of all goods, as we know, given what's gone on with inflation over the last couple of years, is pretty dramatic. And and there's lots of contributing factors to that inflation. But let's just take a minute to a little econ 101. And to look at how goods are priced. So let's assume that for any good, there's a demand for it. And it could be a large demand or a small demand, depending on what we're talking about. But how you get pricing for that good is there's also a supply, right? And so you've got a supply curve, which just looks at how much supply is available at a particular price for that good. And a demand curve, how much do people want to buy of that good based on the particular price. Well, and I know nobody on this can see a supply and demand curve, but it's basically just graphing out the price of an item to the quantity demanded or the quantity. And you can imagine when prices are very low, demand is high. And when prices are very high, demand is low. Likewise, you can imagine that when prices are high, there might be an increased supply. Companies may want to provide more of that because they're capturing such a good price. And when prices are low, the supply drops. So you get a price where those two curves intersect and where consumers are willing to pay that price for a particular good and producers are willing to produce it at that price. And that's the price equilibrium. Exactly. So what happens when, say, the supply curve moves? So using as an example, all the supply shortages and bottlenecks coming out of the recession of COVID. Well, all of a sudden, supply dropped dramatically. And as a result of that low supply, with even a normal demand, but not only was it normal demand, there was an increasing demand for goods based on lots of stimulus money that was paid to consumers. All of a sudden, lots of demand, not much supply. And what happens? Price goes up. That's inflation. And so in order for that to equalize, you need either... Prices so high, sometimes inflation is the best cure for itself. Prices are so high that people just stop buying certain things and that forces the prices down. Or, and then as that happens, a new equilibrium prices is raised. Okay, so the key thing that we're talking about here is that as you're budgeting, you have to expect that over time, prices are going to rise. Not a lot, not rampant inflation like we have, but the government considers 2 to 3% inflation kind of their target rate. 2%, I guess, is the target rate. And so even at 2% doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're budgeting and certainly when you're doing financial planning, if you don't take into account an increase of 2% over the next 20 to 30 years of your potential lifespan, then you may find yourself under budget. I find most people don't understand that number. When you say 2%, it's not 2%. It's 2% compounding on 2%, compounding on 2%. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a much bigger number. So when they talk about how they, I hate when people say that. They? When they, who are they? Yeah, them, the people. The people. Say things. (laughs) When they talk about how U.S. inflation was 9% last July and is now at 5% today, roughly, Canadian inflation was at 8.1 last summer, and it's somewhere around 4.3, 4.4. I don't know the exact number. And they will say, well, look, inflation's come down. And we would say, well, an inflation rate of 5% today means that it's still 5% higher than it was when it was 9% higher six months ago. Exactly. And it's one of those things where, as we talked about in one of the previous episodes, inflation is a rate, but it's not a cost of living. 
And so the cost of living after year one in your example, your real example, cost of living was 9% higher than the year before. And as you say, another 5% on top of that now. So without doing precise math, that's we're 14% higher than it was two years ago. That's pretty precise. Nine plus five. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So how do central banks deal with inflation and what does it mean to everybody? Well, the only thing that they can do is, well, they've got a couple things. Monetary policy. So they can control interest rates in what is called open market operations. And for that, like the FOMC in the U.S. and the Bank of Canada and Canada, they meet, I don't know, in the U.S., I think it's like eight times a year, right? Uh, In Canada, I actually don't know how often the Bank of Canada meets. I think it's similar. Must be, because we tend to do things very similar to the U.S. market. But they will raise interest rates in an effort to reduce spending, right? And if they can reduce spending then they will bring down the price of goods, right? I mean, that is basic, as you say, economics 101. And that's what's occurred in the last, I don't know, call it 18 months, right? Like interest rates have gone up pretty dramatically. Like the overnight rate in the US basically went from 0% to 5%. And that's not the rate that consumers get. That's the bank rate, right? In Canada, what is that rate now? Well, the prime rate is 6.7 in Canada. 6.7, and it used to be 2 Yeah, 8% in the U.S. Yeah, that's a huge difference. So you can just see how that will maybe cause people to question some of their excessive spending. Exactly. Which will bring down the price of goods. And that affects particularly the mandatory expenses. So if you have a mortgage which is up for renewal this year or next, your mortgage payments are going up. That's just the way it is. And so in budgeting and planning, you have to take that into account. Or worse, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a variable rate mortgage that you signed into in January of 2022, and that variable rate mortgage was somewhere around 2%, it's like somewhere around 7% now. So your payments have doubled or tripled, right? I mean, that's a huge difference, right? And so that's going to impact things like retirement savings. And here's a point I wanted to make, Greg. As you mentioned, retirement savings is a non-discretionary expense. But the amount that you can save is based off of the financial planning that you should do. And the financial planning you should do is based off of the budgeting that you should be aware of, right? But did you know that according to Transamerica, did you know, Greg, (laughs) did you know that in 2020, according to Transamerica, only 62% of American workers were currently saving for retirement? That's a bad number. Yeah, like, okay, and I would argue of those 62%, are 100% of the 62% maxing out their savings, or are they simply doing some form of savings, right? Right. So what it means to me is that people are not saving enough. That's right. You know, like that means 38%, quick math there, 100 minus 62 equals 38. Just like nine plus five equals 14. Your mind is is still working. (laughs) 38% are not saving for retirement. Like what are they planning to do or are they just not able to save? Well, and that's part of the problem, right? I mean, there's in many cases, people are able to save and can't. And in many other cases, people just aren't, you know, they're living at or near the poverty line and their expenses are all mandatory or non-discretionary. And that's a problem. You know, it's a a society problem. We're not going to solve it on this podcast, but it's certainly something that affects all of us to some extent. For sure. So there's killers to those savings plans. And one of them simply could be 
you're not making enough to pay your bills. That's a killer, right? There's some other silent killers out there that we don't talk about too much, but those would be like taxes, fees, and expenses, right? So, you know, the more you pay, the less you keep, which is a pretty basic principle. So if we have to pay taxes and we're essentially using after-tax dollars to pay tax on items we purchase to which the seller is getting taxed (laughs) before they pay their employees who are then taxed on the income they're being received, it makes you kind of dizzy. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so so we got to do our best to reduce the tax burden. You know, and there's a few things that we can do for that as, as part of the spring cleaning. One, have we filed our taxes in an appropriate time frame? Right? I hope so, yeah. Have you received your notice of assessment? If so, do you have any RRSP or TFSA contribution room? Or the one that's coming into play this year is the... First home savings account. First home savings account. Can you use that RSP room to reduce your taxable income? Or in the case of the first home savings account, I believe you can also use the contribution to reduce your taxable income. Can you top up your TFSA to create tax-free income stream in the future or tax-free growth rate? I mean, have you reviewed and updated any monthly contributions for these plans? And are you contributing enough to adjust your taxes payable? So those are things you can control. But it does require doing some planning, doing some budgeting to ensure you've got the room. Absolutely. And what about things like, you know, capital losses or gains that you can crystallize now and use for sort of refiling for the past three years or against future years? Now, you know, unfortunately, last year was a tough year for both stocks and bonds, but it did create the opportunity for people to take tax losses on some of their holdings, replace those securities with other similar ones, of course, because Nobody wants to miss the recovery. But by crystallizing those losses, they might be able to offset capital gains on which tax was paid in some of the previous really good years or in the, future in years. the markets or carry it forward for future years as well. Well, I want to give a real life example of that, Greg. Like last year in 2022, at the end of the calendar year, we sold in our discretionary model portfolios a fairly large mutual fund position. And we reinvested the proceeds into an exchange traded fund that was essentially the exact same portfolio run by the exact same people, but it was just the structure of how it was invested, a mutual fund versus an ETF, right? Exactly. By doing that, we're able to crystallize a pretty substantial capital loss. And I did have some investors say, why did we do this trade? Like you sold this mutual fund, you bought the ETF, they look like they're the same things. And then 30 days later, you sold the ETF and you bought the mutual fund. I don't understand. Why'd you do that? Well, Greg, can you answer the question? I can, because without any change specifically in the investment structure or strategy, you were able to crystallize tax losses that could save you money on tax, either by carrying backwards against capital gains or forwards and against future capital gains. So no, it's a very important strategy that, you know, it's a bit of sunlight behind the gray clouds of a poor year in the markets. And you can make the most of it. So, but listen, just to wrap this up this week, you know, the whole discussion that we're having budgeting and, and tax loss selling and and all sorts of things is based on the concept of having a financial plan. So the last item on our spring cleaning agenda is take a look at your financial plan. If you don't have one, make sure you start working on one. If you do have one, when was it last updated? Has there been any major life changes since then? Any large purchases or sales of items such as property? What about your employment? Anything that's changed in the past couple of years? You know, I know that many people that were full-time employees a few years ago are now contracting out, working from home, that kind of thing. 
So there's consequences to that, such as, you know, do they or did they have a pension plan? What kind of pension plan is it? You know, and they're very different things. So in wrapping up for today, what we're talking about is having a budget, having a plan, taking a look at your finances, taking a look at your whole life, sort of from a financial perspective and make sure that everything is up to date. Yeah. And if you're feeling lost, what should you do? Well, you should contact your advisor or somebody who you trust and will entrust with helping you with your financial plan. Yeah. Too often I find people are too afraid to ask those really important questions. And lots of times people know when they're spending too much money, right? But they need some guidance. And so if you are, it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars, $10 million or a hundred dollars, if you need some help with that, reach out to somebody, right? Like, I don't know, maybe the CM group. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Why not? I mean, we have been doing goals-based planning since 2009, Greg. That's right. And we do have time other than this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, should we wrap it up there? Yep. We'll pick it up next week. All right. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.